Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Lock and Load. Whenever soldiers are moving from a green zone into a red zone, they will hear the words lock and load. After that moment, the battle has begun. As a church, our best days are ahead of us, so it's time for us to get ready to battle and contend for the hearts of people. Our prayer is that you begin to prepare yourself as we begin to share the love of Christ with this community and the world. Welcome to Connection Church, too. If you're, if you're new here, man, uh, my name's Brandon, and glad to be able to speak to you today. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Connection Church, and just glad to be able to be here to share with you um, and continue this series we're in right now called Lock and Load. Um, lock and load, if you're familiar with the, the phrase, it's uh, a phrase that people use, um, or soldiers would use going into a, a battle. And it's some of the last instructions that they receive before they go into the battle. And uh, they're told to lock and load. In other words, get ready as they go from a green zone to a red zone, from a, an area of peace to an area of, of battle. They're told to lock and load, get ready, it's time to fight. And we believe as a church, as we've prayed, as we've uh, just sought the Lord, that God has told us, get ready, prepare um, be ready to do what I've called you to do. And we believe that God has some awesome, incredible things in store for us. So the last couple of weeks and for this week and one more week, we're going to be getting ready. We're going to be preparing. And we need to be preparing as individuals, but we also need to be preparing as a church to do the things that God's called us to. And I'm excited about it. In two weeks, we launch um, a, a new series called A Better Story. And I'm probably as excited about that series as I've been any series we've ever done in this church. And the reason I'm excited about it is because one of the anticipation that God's put in my heart, but two is I believe it'll have the power to truly, truly change lives as we look at God's word and God speaks to us through it. And a lot of it's just me sharing my story of how God has changed my life and changed my heart. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. And so we're going to be diving into that in a couple of weeks. Um, This week, week three of Lock and Load, we're going to be looking at another prayer. The last two weeks, we looked at a couple of prayers. The first one was Jesus, more of you. Um, The second one was Jesus, less of me. And then this week, we're going to be looking at our third prayer um, that is basically saying, Jesus, use me. Jesus, use me. Take my life use me. To do that, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you don't, it'll be on the screen above you. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. You can stop by um, one of our um, guest services table. We'd love to give you a Bible today as you leave. So Isaiah chapter 6, let's read verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to pray and we're going to get into this and begin to see how God prepares us to be used for his glory and in his kingdom. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, we're going to come back to that um, in just a little bit. Uh, wouldn't recommend naming your son Uzziah, but hey, if you want to, that's cool. Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the posts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for the opportunity to just be here today to worship You. God, You are holy. And I pray today, God, that our our eyes would see that more clearly, our our hearts would see that more clearly, that we would be able to once again just experience your holiness and experience the grace that has brought us into your presence. 
Um, God, I, I pray that um, when we leave here today, God, we'd have a greater understanding of your holiness and your grace, and that we would, like Isaiah, cry out, Lord, send us, send me. Lord, use us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us, that you don't give up on us, that you made a way for us to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me ask you a couple of questions to start out and get this going. Um, the first one is this. I want to know for some of you guys, or maybe if you're in college or youth, you see this with your parents, um, or maybe you've witnessed this before. But when you're getting ready to go on a trip, one of the worst parts of the trip, typically, other than the return ride home, right, is getting ready to go, isn't it? Like getting packed up, getting all the stuff ready. And if you're like me, um, Susan and I, my role in getting packed up and ready for the trip consists of this and this only. Take the bags from the house to the car. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't have any part of packing because I tend to mess that up. If you mess it up the first couple of times, she won't ask you to do it anymore. Just a little hint for you guys who aren't married yet. And so this is basically the way it goes. If I start trying to get involved with the packing process, things go bad. She doesn't even let me put the stuff in the car. Basically, my job is that of the ox. Carry the stuff. I'll tell you where to put it kind of thing. That's all I do. Um, and, and so in our preparation to go I and mean, to go on a trip, that's what I do. Another thing I learned about preparation, the process of preparation is this, that um, it takes a lot longer to do that with a child than it does without one. Like when I was, um, you know, before, before we had children and it was just Susan and I, I could be up and at work in 20 minutes. That's including taking a shower, right? Up and out, and it takes 10 minutes to get from my house to town. I could get there quickly. We had a child, I had to add about an hour to that to do anything, right? And, and just the process of getting ready to go. How many of you ever put in a, child, uh, a car seat? You might put in a car seat. How many of you... Dads, maybe you put it in at the hospital and you cussed when you put it in the car seat, right? Because it's horrible. Like, if you want to test your patience and you want to test your faith, put in a car seat. Uh, there's a lot of things about my children that, that um, after having three, they, memories sort of blur together a little bit. One thing I'll never forget is getting ready to take him home and putting in the car seat. Like, I remember it just like it was yesterday because I literally almost just was like, okay, that's it. Y'all can keep him. I can't get the car seat in the car. And so you got to get, and you got to have, you got to have the diaper bag and you got to have the bottles and you got to have the wipes and you got to have all of this stuff that you got to take with you just to go on a trip. And the process takes a lot longer. It's a lot more difficult. It's, it's, it's crazy, but there's a process that you have to go through. And the worst thing was when we would go somewhere and Susan would look at me and say, did you bring the diaper bag? No. Right. The worst thing is a man because it just kills your man ego, right? No, I didn't bring it. You forgot it. You forgot it again. Absolutely. I forgot it again. I'm terrible, I know, right? And, and so, but you got this whole process, you got this whole, this whole, um, just getting ready. You got, you got to be ready to go. You got to be ready to, to get there. And what I started looking at and what I started seeing in scripture is that with everybody that God uses, there's a process that he takes them through before they are sent out, before they're ready to go. And God does this with us. He begins to get us ready to go out into the world, to, to be able to say what Isaiah says at the end of um, the verses we're going to read today in, in verse 8. Lord, here am I, send me. There's a process that he takes us through. We see it with Moses. We see it with Isaiah. We see it with Peter. We see it with Paul, this process. And I want to explain that process to you a little bit today, looking at 
Isaiah's call and, and how Isaiah has been sent out as a prophet. Isaiah lived um, about 900 years before Christ. He was a prophet um, to God's people, the Jewish people, Israel. Um, he would go and, 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 and declare the word of God. He was highly thought of. He was of noble birth. He could go in and speak with kings. He could speak with princes. He, could, he, he had incredible influence. He was a great man of integrity. And so this is the guy. This is his call. This is when God reveals himself to us. And we see in this process that the first thing that happened is that Isaiah has this revelation of God. He has this vision of God's holiness. And in fact, if you want to write this down, the first step of this process is that we see God's holiness. We see God's holiness. We begin to see that God's not like us. Have you ever figured that out? God's not like us. His ways are not our ways. The Bible is true. He is higher than us. His thoughts are higher than ours. Um, he is more pure than we are. He's more perfect than we are. He is transcendent. He is, he is everything we're not, so to speak, right? He's good. He's holy. It's what the angels were, were singing. Holy, holy, holy is your Lord God Almighty. And then they say the whole earth is full of your glory. God's holiness is, is who he is. It's his character. It's his, his integrity. It's what makes him up. His glory is what we see that comes from his holiness. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord that was coming from his holiness. This, this transcendence, this, the hardest thing to do as a preacher is to describe the holiness of God, right? How do you describe that? How do you describe what we aren't? Well, we have really nothing we can wrap our mind around, nothing we can wrap our hands around and say, this is holy. It's just higher than us. Good, perfect, pure, no blemish, just holy. And this is what the angels are singing. This is what Isaiah sees. He sees the holiness, the goodness, the perfection of God. And then the angels sing it. They're bouncing it off the, each other. They're singing. And can you imagine how loud it must have been? If you think our worship's loud, can you imagine how loud it must have been? All of these angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they say the whole earth is full of his glory. And they're singing, they're singing so much that the foundations, the threshold and the post, they were shaking, singing about the glory and the holiness of God. Man, it gets all over me when we sing Revelation song and I sing of the holiness. Can you imagine being in the presence of these angels who are looking at God, who are so incredible themselves that if we were to see them, we would fall on our face, fearing for our lives, and yet they can't look upon the holiness of God. They cover their eyes, they cover their feet, and they begin to realize we're in the presence of someone so much more holy, infinitely more holy than we are, infinitely more good, infinitely more perfect, than we are. We begin to see that's what they're doing. And one verse that caught my attention though this week as I was studying is this. The angel said the whole earth is full of your glory. It's full of the glory that they were looking at. And I begin to ask myself this question. I begin to wonder, why don't we see it? If the whole earth is full of his glory, how are we not always and everywhere going holy, holy, holy? Like you're at Walmart, you just walk around, holy, holy, holy right? You work holy, holy, holy. Why? Because we see the glory of the Lord. I begin to wonder, why don't we see it? Why do we miss it? And as I begin to study scripture and I begin to pray, I realize we don't want to see it. I realize as a people, typically our thought process is not, I want to see the holiness of God. If you go to Romans chapter one, 
Verse 20, Paul connects here with Isaiah chapter 6 and that he says that creation, that God has revealed himself through creation and just through creation itself, we should be able to see the divine attributes and qualities of God, his holiness, his perfection. He says, but the reason we can't see it, this is the Brandon version, the reason we can't see it is that we've suppressed the truth with a lie, that by our wickedness we've turned away. And that God finally said, if that's the way you want to go, go. And so we don't want to see his holiness. Why don't we want to see his holiness? Because when we see God clearly and we see his holiness very clearly, we begin to see us clearly, right? And so we don't want to look. We don't want to see how black our heart is. We don't want to see how far from God we are. We, want to, we don't want to see how truly messed up we really are. We went from the 1700s where Jonathan Edwards is preaching, well, probably the, the most preached or the most um, well-known message in all of American Christianity, um, sinners in the hand of an angry God, right? I read a little bit of that. It, he was literally, it was like dangling people over hell on a rotten stick. That's about what that message was, right? And now somehow, because we've sort of tried to correct that, we've gone into this, you know, fist bump, chest bump, Jesus kind of thing. And the reality of it is, that's not God. We have to understand that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The only difference is we're able to come to him through Jesus. We've got to see that God is holy and we aren't. We've got to come to a place where we recognize that when I see him and he's holy and I'm not like that. And we have to come to a place of finally coming to terms with that. We don't like to look at God. We like to turn our back to God because it reveals to us who we are. It reveals to us how far we have to go. The first thing that Isaiah did is he sees the holiness of God. The second thing, look at this in verse 5. What does Isaiah say? He sees the holiness of God and he's not like, what's up, God? What's up, Jesus, homeboy? What's going down, man? What's happening, right? He doesn't do that. He's not like, chest bump. He doesn't do that. He cries out in verse five. Woe to me. I'm ruined. Woe to me. I am ruined. The second thing that we do in this process is we begin to see the holiness and the glory of God. We begin to be terrified. Because here's the reality. When we see God and we see us, we realize how mess up we are we see how dark our hearts really are and we realize there's only one thing that God should do to evil he should do away with evil wouldn't we all say that if somebody walked into your house punched you in the nose took your tv kicked your dog refused to take your cat (laughs) had to throw that in there and then walked out Is it right or wrong that they be punished? It's right. They should be punished. And here's the thing. He walks in and punches you in the nose, takes your TV, takes your dog, kicks your dog, leaves the cat. Here's the thing you would cry if nobody did anything. Injustice. But we never do that with God. We never look at ourselves and go, God, if you don't punish me, that is injustice. Because I am evil and you are right and you are good and you are a just God and you should totally destroy me. We don't say that, do we? No. But we come to this point of recognizing who God is 
and who we are. It should send a little bit of a chill up our back. It should sort of make the hair stand up on our arms. The thing about this holy and perfect God who created everything. And I know people say, well, I don't even believe in God. But this is the thing I would say. Is it not funny that the people who would say that claim to be the most wise? But I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'll admit that. But I know this. Something can't come from nothing. There cannot be a creation without a creator. And I'm not even that smart. Something had to create this. It had to come from something. That something is God. And if God did all of this and he hung us in this, this, the, in this space and he keeps us rotating on this axis, he must be a little bit bigger, a little bit more holy than I am. And to think about standing before that God on my account with my sin, with my heart, is horrifying. Because I know what I deserve. At the core of my being, I know what I deserve. Isaiah had no doubt when he saw the glory and the holiness of God, what he deserved. But see, we don't like this part of God. We tend to ignore this part of God. But it's to our own detriment. We don't want to serve a God who's not just. We'd rather create a God of our own choosing to say, well, you know, he's just my friend. Oh, he's holy. The only reason he's your friend is because Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood, took your wrath so that now you can even come into his presence without turning into a pile of ash. He's holy. He's good. How terrifying would it be to fall into the hands of this God on our own merit, on our own account with all the sin in our life? It's not comfortable, but sometimes I think the detriment of the church is that we're too comfortable. Sometimes we need to be made uncomfortable. We need to see reality. We need to see that we're not entitled to grace. Oh my gosh, if there's one thing in our culture right now that's killing us, it's entitlement. We're not entitled to grace. You know the only thing we're entitled to, the only thing we've earned, is judgment. Judgment. That's what our works have earned us, is judgment. That's all. To be judged by a holy God. To be condemned. I know that's not politically correct today to talk about that. To talk about hell. To talk about it being a real place. To talk about people that actually go there. But it's the reality. Church, we're not called to be politically correct. We're called to be prophets of the word of God. We're called to share the truth if we really believe it's the truth. And the reality for us is, guys... Not entitled to anything from God. We shouldn't be asking the question of why doesn't God save everybody? We should be asking the question, why does God save anybody? Why? We don't deserve it. Chapter 6, verse 5. He cries out, Woe to me, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So he sees the holiness of God. He's horrified because he knows what should be done. He knows what's coming. He sees his own sin. Number three, he sees his own sin, and he sees the sin around him. He begins to get a clear picture of everything that's around him, of what's going on around him. He begins to see himself clearly. 
Isaiah said, my lips are unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and how do our lips become unclean? The Bible says it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what he's basically saying is my heart is ruined. I'm coming apart. I'm a man of integrity according to the community, but I'm disintegrating. I'm not being integrated. I'm disintegrating. I'm being taken apart in the presence of God because at the core of my being, at the deepest part of who I am, I realize I am unclean and I stand before a holy God, a just God, a righteous God, and I am unclean. He says, the people around me are people with unclean lips. So he says, at the very most inner part of my being and everywhere around me, I'm unclean. I realize this and I'm standing before a holy God and I'm undone. He recognized his sin. So here's how most of us live our lives. And I want you to see this real quick. Most of us, common, what color would we say? That's white shirt, white shirt. We'd say, this is my life. And yeah, sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I kind of do some things that aren't right. But you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not really that bad because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty holy. You know, I go to church and I do good stuff. And, you know, I try to dodge squirrels when they run out in the road. And, you know, I'm not a bad person. Swerve at cats, but not at dogs. You know, I, I try, try not to hurt things. I I try to be a pretty good person. And so we look at our lives this way and we begin to see this as our standard. But the problem with that is when we look at a different standard, when we look at God's standard, we begin to see that maybe we're not so holy. When we compare this to this, what's truly white? We compare us to God. We begin to see ourselves Clearly, we can clearly see that this is what off white. It's off from God's standard because we're not holy and he is. And we begin to see ourselves as this. But you know what we do? As soon as we possibly take a glimpse at God and we possibly see that this is us and this is him and we don't measure up and his standard is too high and we can't get there. You know what we do? We turn from this him to this. Anybody know what this one might be? Other people, right? So we look at God, we're like, whoa, I am messed up. But look at them. They're messed up than I am, right? They are messed up. And so we look at them, we're like, at least I ain't that messed up. At least I ain't addicted to that. You know, at least I don't do that. At least I didn't sleep with all of them. At least I didn't do, you know, at least I didn't, at least I didn't. And so we compare this to this and we start feeling better about ourselves because we don't look at the true standard, which is God and his holiness, not our buddy that lives in his mama's basement until he's 50 and plays video games and eats Cheetos, right? And so we compare ourselves to other people. The only problem, that's not the standard. And what we soon realize, if we'll gaze into the eyes of God, if we begin to look at his holiness and who he truly is, we begin to see, you know what? This isn't me compared to him. Actually, I'm more like this. In fact, there's nothing good in me apart from him. I am evil. I'm not a little tarnished. I'm undone. I am ruined. My heart is black. 
Would anybody admit today that you're a lot more like this than you are like this, right? And when we stand before a holy God, it's why I, come, I almost come undone singing that song. Because I think about the holiness of God. I think about who he is. And I realize, this is me. There's nothing good in me apart from God. I'm sinful. I'm a sinful, sinful man. And you know what it causes us to do? The next thing, number four. Number one, we see God's holiness. Number two, it's horrifying. Number three, we see our sin and the sin around us. And number four, exactly what Isaiah did. He cried out to God. We began to cry out to God. Oh God, woe is me. I'm undone. I can tell you the day I gave my life to the Lord. It wasn't because somebody was like, hey, Jesus is your friend. I don't need a friend. I need a savior. Jesus is your friend. And we got the pictures of him like holding a lamb and snuggling up to the lamb. You know what? The lamb was slain. The perfect lamb of God was killed. The wrath of God fell on the perfect lamb so that you could be forgiven. When I sing holy, holy, I realize I'm crying out to God. I'm declaring his holiness and I'm declaring I'm not God. I'm not. And what I deserve is to be punished. What I deserve is to be beaten. You know, when I was a child, all my mama had to do was say, boy, when your daddy gets home, I'm going to tell him and he's going to wear you out. If I was sitting on a chair, like I'd pick it up with me. That's like, you know, tighten up. And it would scare me because I knew what I was due. I knew what was coming. And when I see the holiness of God, All I can do is cry out to him. Why would we not cry out to him? When I was little and I'd be in trouble, who'd I cry out to? Mom, dad, mom, dad, somebody help me, help me, help me, help me. I need help. Who else will we cry out to when we see ourselves in this predicament? Oprah? Justin Bieber? Chuck Norris? Right? Who are we going to cry out to? We cry out to God. It's his holiness. It's him who we see. We begin to see him. We begin to recognize I'm not that. And there's a terror that fills our heart. We begin to cry out. We begin to cry, God, woe is me. I am ruined, God. I, don't, I can't do anything. I'm undone by the sight of your glory because I realize who I am. Let's read verses 6 and 7. It says, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The fifth one is this, that God takes action. Here's the thing. We see his holiness. We're terrified, man. It's horrifying to think about falling into the hands of a holy God because I'm not holy. I see my sin. I see the sin around me. I cry out to God. And here's how awesome our God is. When we cry out to him, he takes action. Isn't that awesome? I would have give up on y'all a long time ago, just so y'all know. I gave the, the, the invitation at the end of the nine o'clock service. Everybody just sat there. It's like Maybe I didn't make that clear. I just had to assume it was my, my, my lack of communication, right? I would have given up on us a long time ago. I would have given up on my stubborn heart a long time ago. And yet God, when we cry out to him, it says, 
in the scripture all throughout that God takes action, that the Bible is true. We'll humble ourselves and pray. If we, those who are called by his name, will humble ourselves and pray, that he'll hear from heaven. He'll heal our land. Do you want this land to be healed? Listen, I believe this with all my heart. We're not going to do it through just doing it through politics alone. It's going to be through the power of Jesus. The first church, man, they, listen, they were not even well thought of. But you know, the first church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit had converted the entire Roman nation. In 300 years, they had changed the entire nation. And you know what it was? It was Jesus. Jesus revealing himself to people. We want this land healed. We need to begin to humble ourselves. We need to begin to cry out to God, knowing that he'll take action, that he'll move in our lives. Every great revival has begun because people were willing to get on their face before a holy God in repentance and say, God, we're not worthy of your presence. God, come into this place. You are holy. We are not. Do what only you can do. Heal this land, Lord. Come into our lives. Heal our land. You see, God begins to take action. We see he begins to move. It's funny, he sends one of the seraphs. See, the seraphs were these fiery beings. They were these fiery angels. He he goes and he takes a coal from the altar and he takes it with some tongs and he comes over. And can you imagine Isaiah? He's like, oh great, this is it. This is the end. And he touches Isaiah's lips, which is one of the most sensitive places on your body, right? You ever got one of those zits like right there at the top of your lip? You know what I'm talking about? How painful is that? One of the most sensitive places on your body. You get a zit right there. It's like, oh my gosh, this is going to have to be gross because I can't even touch that. And he takes the coal and he touches it to his lips. And surely Isaiah thought, yep, I was right. I'm undone. I'm ruined. He's going to kill me now. And he touches his lips and he makes this declaration. It had to be surprising to Isaiah because the angel says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Can you imagine Isaiah as the coal is coming and touching his lips? He had to be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm forgiven. Whoa. How surprising. How surprising it must have been. I was thinking about this. I've always read that. And I thought, you know, when he took that coal from the altar, it must have been because it was so hot But then I started thinking, if a seraph is a fiery angel, why would the heat bother him? Begin to realize, and this is what I believe. I don't believe it was because the coal was hot. I believe it was because the coal was holy. It came from the heavenly altar. And God took it. What what happens at altars? Things are sacrificed. And God took what had been sacrificed. He took this coal from this altar of sacrifice. And he took it with the tongs. And he goes over. And what is unholy touches Or what is holy touches what is unholy. And instead of killing him, it healed him. And that's what God desires to do for us. Because see, here's what happened. From heaven, Jesus came to earth, touched earth, desires to touch your life. So that what came from heaven, what is holy, would touch what is unholy, making it clean. Jesus desires to make us clean in this place today. To impart his holiness. To take us from this 
to this. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he did on the cross. That he took our sin. That if we would gaze upon his holiness, recognize that we're not that. That he is something other. Recognize our sin. Recognize the fact that we need a savior. If we would cry out to the Lord, that he would touch our lives and make us clean and make us whole. I don't know if y'all live like I live sometimes. I don't know if you stumble like I stumble sometimes. But when I think about a holy God touching my life and making me clean, making me holy, not killing what is unholy, but healing what is unholy, that is good news. Amen. I need it today. Last night, five o'clock this morning, Susan comes in with Reed, my two-year-old. I'm like, I got to get up at 530. And she walks in and Reed, he's just wide awake. Like, what's up, Dad? You know, I mean, in his own little way. He's like, uh, just talking. She lays down. I'm like, really? Are you really going to lay down with him in here? I got to get up in 20 minutes. Really? And I would like to say that, you know, I laid there and I rolled over and got on my knees and I laid hands and I prayed. Oh, Lord, bless these two that you have brought into my life. Thank you for the moments we're awake and the moments we have together. Because they are so precious and dear. We love you. That's not what I did. I was like, really? Are you going to lay down in here? What are you doing? Well, the other boys are in the bed that I was in with three kids. So I thought I might come and get in my bed. Really? I got to get up at 530. It's five. Really? My selfishness. It always rears its ugly head. I'm better than I was, but I'm not perfect. And I can tell you this. I still need this as much as I did the first day that I came to the Lord. I still need to see his holiness. I still need to be reminded, Brandon, you are all that. You are not all that. You're selfish. You're sinful. But guess what? I've atoned for your sin. So we talk about these big Christian words, the atonement. What is the atonement? It's that one-ment. It's God making a way for us to be at one with him again. It's how God said, come into my presence. Come boldly into my presence. Come confidently into my presence. See, here's the thing I don't think we get as Christians. I don't think we ever feel the weight of our sin. I think we, 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 and rightfully so, we talk so much about there not being any condemnation that we also throw out the conviction. Because here's the problem. If we're not a church that is continually experiencing the grace of God, how will we ever be willing to offer it to other people? Until we feel the weight of sin lifted off of our shoulders by the power of grace, we are unfit for the service of God. Not because God doesn't love us, but because we have nothing to share. We are a sinful people that is only saved by the grace of God. Called to be consecrated and set apart by him to be holy. And God, yes, he gives us that through Jesus, but then he begins to raise that up in us and work it out of us so that the world begins to see that there's something different. I get so tired of people rationalizing their behavior by saying, well, it's just normal. I get tired of hearing people say, well, you know, that's just what guys do. No, that's just how women are. 
No. That's just how my boys are. You know, boys will be boys. Bullcrap. We're not called to be normal. We're set apart. Called to be holy. God gave us the power to be holy. He cleansed us. He made us clean. We're not called to be normal. We're called to be an example of a different way, an alternative way of life, a way that we can't do on our own that only comes by Jesus working in us. That's what God's called us to. Why would we settle for less than that? When are we going to become that city on a hill that people can see and they see the light? When are we going to be the light in the darkness? When are we going to be the salt that penetrates the world and begins to change it and begins to give it a different flavor and begins to show people that there is an alternative? When are we going to do that? When are we going to be that people? I can tell you, when we turn our hearts back to God, we realize He is holy, we realize that we aren't, and we begin to trust in Jesus for our salvation, we realize how big of a gap His grace has Span how big the chasm was between us and God that Jesus has bridged and we celebrate his grace and we live out of his grace as every day we remember how much he's forgiven. That's what we worship is a God who didn't quit, but a God who made a way. God that didn't give up, but one who made a way for us, who took what was holy and touched what is unholy. I believe this. Until we've experienced woe is me, we can't truly say, God, send me. Until we realize that we are undone in the presence of a holy God apart from Jesus, we'll never be able to say, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your grace. Lord, send me. Not my will, Lord, but yours. You are the king. You are our God. So we got this. We've got this. Isaiah saw God's holiness. Isaiah was terrified. Isaiah saw his sin, the sin around him. He cried out to God. God took action, made what was unclean clean. All of this happening almost in an instant. Do you see what a revelation of God's holiness can do in our lives? How powerful is that? In an instant, God begins to do this. And the last one, the sixth one I would tell you, is that God commissions him to action. That's what he does with us. We get this last thing. He commissions us to action. God in his sovereignty says, hey, yeah, I'm going to send somebody. Who's it going to be? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'll go, Lord. But God had to bring him through this process. He had to show him who he was. He had to show Isaiah who he is as God. And he had to show Isaiah who he is as man. I told you that the first sentence in this text would be important. And it says this, it says in the year that King Uzziah died. And, and he tells us that this is a specific time. It was during this year, King Uzziah was thought of as, as probably the best king Judah had had for a long time that these, these Jewish people had had, maybe since Solomon. And now he's dead. And the people were literally in mourning and they were also thinking this, who's gonna provide for us? Who's gonna take care of us the way that King Uzziah did? Who's gonna, who's gonna get us what we need? And it's in that moment, in that 
frame of mind that Isaiah has this vision of God. And it's as if God is saying to them the same thing that he is saying to us today. You know who's going to provide. You know who's going to take care of you. You know who it is. It's not some earthly king. It is the king of kings who is seated on the throne, who has angels singing around his throne. Holy, holy, holy. And if you'll turn your hearts back to me, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I've already given my best for you in Jesus, the great sacrifice of atonement to bring you back to me. So if you'll just turn your heart to me and you'll repent of your sin and you'll come to me, I'll take care of you. I'll be your provider. I'll be your God. I'll be your friend and I'll be your savior. That's what he's calling us to. Church, this is, this is good news. But you know what? You can't really appreciate the good news if you don't have the bad news, can you? If you don't have the black backdrop of sin, you can't really see the great power of the light of Christ. But when we see that, man, we see who we are apart from him. We realize I've got to have a savior. Someone has to save me. Not only from myself, but from God. That's the awesome thing about him. He didn't quit on us, but he's called us to him, called us to himself. He sent his son to wake us from our apathy, to recognize our sin, to cry out to God, and to worship and rejoice in his presence and in his grace. It's our greatest call. That's our purpose for life glorify God and enjoy him forever it doesn't just happen in heaven folks we're united with a holy God right now if we're in faith with Christ I was thinking about us riding down the road this way I can tell you exactly where I was when I was thinking about it because it was so profound to me it just hit me again like I never heard it for the first time that one day I will be able to stand righteous before a holy God if that's not hard for you to believe, you don't know me very well. But that's the truth of the gospel. What an awesome thing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, the power of who you are, your love in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would just reveal yourself to us, God. You are holy. You are holy in this place, God. And I pray that we would see that, Lord. I pray that for those who don't know you, you would awaken their heart, that they would see you. And then in an instant, their lives would be changed. They would become different because you give them their, your righteousness. You fill them with your spirit. God, do a great work in them. For those of us who've known you, God, and you, you're standing there, just like in the book of Revelation, knocking on the door of their heart and a holy hand, the hand of God is knocking on their heart. I pray, God, that they would open the door and let you come in to gaze upon you, to see you, and to rejoice in the grace that you offer us, the forgiveness through you, Lord, and only through you. God, we are undone apart from Jesus. Move in our hearts and our lives.